0: Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20 year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. The only thing better than a well-done sequel is one that you weren't expecting. In this surprise sequel to a Next Generation episode, I'm gonna talk about how you can use the rules and sometimes even bend them when it helps you better achieve your organization's mission. So let's get right into it. It's the fifth episode of the third season of Voyager, False Prophets. Voyager has found evidence of a wormhole that they think might help them get back to the alpha quadrant more quickly, but it shows up at weird intervals and in inconsistent places in their investigation. They find life on a planet, but they likely won't be able to help them learn anything as they have a bronze age level of technology. Now, this is a super important point that is going to weigh on everything that happens from here. Not just in the episode, But even as I break down what Janeway did right, and maybe a little bit of what she did wrong, maybe. The Prime Directive has come up quite a few times on this podcast, most recently in episode 70, when we watched the first episode of Strange New Worlds. But what we need to know now is that this rule, no, no, this directive says that Starfleet cannot interfere with a pre-warp society. And to be crystal clear, this is called the Prime Directive, like General Order Number One. The first thing you read in the handbook. Okay, we got it? Good. Tuvok, in his scans, finds evidence of a replicator, which should not be happening on a planet with Bronze Age technology. This gives Janeway the opening that she was hoping for. She sends Chakotay and Paris down to the surface, dressed to look like natives and has Torres and Kim get to work on figuring out the wormhole. On the surface, on the planet, they find what you would expect in a low-tech society. Maybe a little more medieval than Bronze Age, but I mean, what do I know? I haven't been in either of those places. They hear repeatedly of holy figures known as the Sages. They're interacting with people in the marketplace. And we learn a little more about these sages. Well, the sages say you can tell a great deal about a man from his shoes. Hmm. I remember hearing that's how you can tell how well someone's going to tip at a restaurant. Shout out to Max, who left a 1% tip recently on a $90 bill on his anniversary, nonetheless. The episode does a really good job slowly narrowing down on just who these sages are. As the merchants continue sharing these little catchy Very capitalist sounding sayings. Very advanced sounding commerce for a Bronze Age society if you ask me. We get one last clue before the big reveal. You can't enter the temple without wearing your ears. Huh. You starting to piece this together? Well, back on Voyager, Torres and Kim have a breakthrough and they believe they can polarize an instability in subspace to force the wormhole open. Like, duh. (laughs) Either way, Pretty promising news. Back on the planet, a gong sounds. And friends, we're about to meet the sages. Greed is eternal. Greed is eternal. Yep, if you've been following along, you figured this out just before the big reveal. We're dealing with two Ferengi. They're encouraging the native people to turn as much profit as possible and are using the replicator to ensure they can fulfill an ancient prophecy. The people are desperate to please them, but they are really, really unhappy. Chakotay and Paris, back on the ship, update the senior staff on what they've learned. Tuvok digs into the history files and watches the episode from TNG's third season, The Price, which tells the story of how the Ferengi got here. Also... We all watched that one in the 19th episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, where I talked about how to behave ethically, even in negotiations. Well, Tuvok shares that During a nefarious attempt to secure the wormhole for themselves, they were pulled into it and deposited in the Delta Quadrant. This is right up Janeway's alley. Her self-righteousness comes into play, and she goes about putting together a plan to get those Ferengi away from the planet. Tuvok disagrees, though, saying that this just isn't their problem. The Ferengi, you see, aren't members of the Federation. Nor would it seem that the Prime Directive would allow us to interfere with the internal affairs of the society. Janeway does what Starfleet captains do, though, and figures out a way around this little hiccup. Tuvok doesn't disagree with her logic, so they get to work. We get a lot of these two Ferengi, Cole and Eridor. Bumbling around and leaning into the comedic side of the Ferengi, Aridor is the brains of the operation, and Cole, Cole's just kind of along for the ride. Have you got two tens for five? Yes, sir. Thank you. The first attempt to quote solve this problem is to beam the two Ferengi to Voyager and lock them up. But Aridor makes the case that they're integral to the society here, and that kidnapping them would cause massive cultural damage. Janeway can't disagree. And she returns him to the surface. Attempt number two is a little more fun. Not the Grand Negus. I'm his official messenger. The Grand Proxy. Yep, they frangied up Neelix, gave him a crash course in their culture, and sent him in. He says they're going back home, and this planet will be coming under the Grand Negus' purview. This is the best I've seen Neelix in a long time. He's in it and he's doing great, honestly, honestly maybe a little too great, really. Cole and Eredor feel backed into a corner and decide that their only option is to kill the messenger. While they try to do this with swords for some reason, Neelix comes clean with the truth. He tells them everything. They send him back to Voyager, and we're back to square one. Attempt number three comes by happenstance. They run into a poet that they heard from before when he shared the story of the sages. Chakotay gets him to share the end of the poem, which sets up the situation where the sages leave the planet. So they lean in. Still in his Ferengi getup, Neelix shifts gears, gets in the town square and proclaims, I am the holy pilgrim! Here to lead the sages back into the sky. The people immediately get on board. I have prayed for this day to come. So they beam them back up and start for the wormhole that appears to be open and working well. But Voyager's crack security team falls to two bumbling Ferengi. They steal the shuttle and try to get back to the planet. Voyager uses a tractor beam to try and bring them back, which, which messes up the wormhole. It's destabilizing the wormhole. The shuttle gets sucked in, likely heading back to the Alpha Quadrant, but also shrinking that wormhole down so it's useless to Voyager. The planet is saved, we think, and Voyager is right back where they started. Janeway sends them back on their way. Mr. Paris, reset a course for the Alpha Quadrant, Warp 6. I, Captain. And we are right back where we started. Oh, I love, love, love the idea for this episode. It is so great that they made a direct sequel to an early TNG episode. That's not a thing that happened too often back when each series was trying to stand on its own. Unfortunately, I don't think it quite lived up to its potential, at least not in my opinion, but it still had some fantastic moments and some really cool kind of behind the scenes stories. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. Look, this was by no means a bad episode. In fact, it was a lot of fun. I think what hurt it is that they tried to go all in on the comedy side of the Ferengi when they had this incredible story about the impact of cultural interference and maybe even a commentary on modern forms of capitalism. More on that in the command codes. But instead of that... We got the Abbott and Costello version of them making jokes like No more quadruple, no rub. And generally just kind of being comic book style villains. What was cool is that this picked up a dropped thread from TNG that totally checks out. In The Price, Cole and Arador get greedy and end up lost in what was the first mention of the Delta and Gamma Quadrants. Merengi pod out. Damn it, Arador! We're 70,000 light years away from our ships. Come on now. And that was the end of their story. Like, we all just accepted that two people were stranded across the galaxy in a shuttle with limited oxygen, and it was kind of a punchline. Well, jokes on the poor people of this planet. An almost ridiculous set of coincidences between them showing up and the long-standing tradition of waiting for the sages. They end up under the despotic, money-grubbing rule of two incompetent Ferengi. It's cool continuity on this one. In the recap, I said I really liked Neelix as a Ferengi. Ethan Phillips, who plays Neelix, really got into that role despite, according to some production notes, having the flu and running a pretty high fever. Luckily for him, this character wasn't all new to him. Phillips also played a Ferengi in the third season TNG episode, Menage a Troy, And would go on to play one in the first season enterprise episode acquisition which we watched in the 39th episode of this podcast they're not going to put it on a map you idiot all in all this was a fun episode of voyager if you aren't expecting them to tackle any of the big topics or issues that are laid right out in front of you personally i would love a sequel to this one maybe in another series when we can see the impacts of the sage's time on this planet and how leaving them without a clear line of government succession left them. Hmm, really? How very TOS of them, you know, where they completely shake up a society and then just take off? Lower Decks has revisited some of these planets. Hmm, maybe this one's coming up. Command codes verified. I've worked as a manager in three consecutive decades. Whew. But I gotta tell you, I have some thoughts. One of the big ones is that I cannot stand rules. All the bureaucracy and policy and stuff that you have to do a certain way. I also absolutely love rules. I'm so thankful they help ensure things are done a certain way and to a certain level of quality. You see how difficult this job can be, yeah? We're going to talk about the value of rules, but also how to look at, well, bending them when you need to. I'm also gonna talk about providing motivation for people and we'll compare it to a few martial arts. Yeah, whole new meaning to greenbelt in the professional world maybe. But first, I'm gonna step out of my comfort zone and we're gonna talk about some of the different flavors of capitalism. Come to fun. Come right now, go run! In the 30th episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, Discovery, Choose Your Pain, I talked about the incredible performance review that Saru set up for himself. Now, there's a tool that enables you to do the same thing for yourself and your teams. For your free copy of this tool, visit starfleetleadership.academy and join the mailing list. You'll not only get a free copy of this incredible tool, but you'll also hear about other cool things going on with the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Visit starfleetleadership.academy today and get your free copy. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. Capitalism. Every person has a reaction when they hear that word. Some love it, a lot hate it, and most most really don't understand it. What we do know, and I hope we can agree on, is that capitalism is an economic system that prioritizes profit and, in theory, depends on market conditions to influence what those profits look like. Now, there are pre- and post-grad degrees on the countless shades of complexity and nuance that I just plop down in a few words, but this is not an economics podcast. It's a leadership podcast, So I want to introduce an idea that can influence the way you choose to lead. This episode perfectly captures what we can call the evils of capitalism. The classes that exist and the growing rifts between them. Many work and few truly realize the benefits of that work. And who better than the Ferengi who have turned capitalism into an ecclesiastical endeavor to show this? We see Cole and live living the high life, bossing people around and lording their perceived superiority over everyone. The Voyager crew is lightning fast when it comes to passing judgment on this setup. It's disgusting, Captain. The two Ferengi live in a palatial temple while the people are lucky to have a roof over their heads. And yeah, that is disgusting. Now, does this conjure up some real-life images for you? Are there at least a few names that come to mind? There sure are for me and some that I've actually experienced firsthand. In my mind, there is no question that capitalism can be bent for ill intent, for selfish gain. I think that was basically the entire premise of the old Captain Planet cartoon. By your powers combined, I am Captain Planet. But does that mean capitalism is evil? That only evil people profit from, well, profit. Not at all. I wanna play a short clip for you it's not quite a minute long, that introduces the idea of conscious capitalism or benevolent capitalism. Both of these terms have been kind of co-opted by companies, so I use them only because I don't have a better term, but the idea and the concept remains the same. Our word of the day is conscious capitalism. No economic system gives as much freedom for entrepreneurship and innovation as the capitalist system. In its current format, however, capitalism also reflects the negative side of human nature, greed, belligerence, and harm to the public and the earth. Global changes in the 21st century pose challenges to the business community, requiring it to chart a new course. The sated Western world has given birth to a millennium generation that expects businesses to behave ethically, demand a rewarding and meaningful work life, and is well acquainted with its power and value as both employee and consumer. There are companies in the world that act according to a new revised model of capitalism. They operate with concern and care for all people involved with them, enabling capitalism to leverage its creative capabilities and human cooperation. As a result, they are achieving substantial economic success. Companies that practice this type of capitalism are absolutely 100% profit motivated. Don't think they're not. The difference, though, is that they are purpose-driven. So a more traditional company is both profit-motivated and profit-driven, while a conscious or benevolent capitalist company is profit-motivated and purpose-driven. What this would mean for me, for example, is that my company is working to generate profit, but our purpose is to better the lives of the people we work with with our team. So my primary decision-making is based on the people on my team, and at most, it's informed by potential profitability. The really cool thing about this is that companies that have followed this model have performed astonishingly well. As of mid-2022, some of these companies include Costco and Trader Joe's. Costco values its employees and While other retailers tend to keep wages tight, usually pretty low, they offer enviable wages, benefits, and even generous retirement options. Trader Joe's does close to the same. According to a 2013 Harvard Business Review article, which is linked down in the show notes, many publicly traded, consciously capitalist companies outperformed the S&P 500 by a significant factor. This is backed up in a 2019 Forbes article, also linked in the show notes, that highlights the work Patagonia has done and how they've profited from their work. Again, look, I am not an economist. I never learned to read. But this moment in this episode caused me to reflect on how we can do better. If you aren't in a position to alter the course of your company, imagine what you can do for your team or even your coworkers. How can you connect to a purpose beyond profits that almost ironically will drive both performance and profits and all while improving the people and the world around us. Focusing on the people that do the work is a fantastic way to provide motivation. Now let me dispel a huge myth right here right now. You ready? You cannot motivate your team. In fact, You can't motivate anyone. Motivation comes from within. A person either chooses to be motivated or chooses not to be. But what you can do is create an environment and culture that is motivating, that encourages people to choose to be motivated. You can even work with them one-on-one or in small teams to create that. But please, please, please do not think you can motivate someone just setting yourself up for disappointment. So Jeff, if I can't motivate people, how do I create an environment that lets people choose to be motivated? I'm glad you asked. There are so many ways to do this. The most basic, fundamental thing is to treat everyone you work with with dignity and respect. You can offer challenging and rewarding jobs. You can focus on growth and development. And there are countless other pieces of advice out there to achieve this. But I want to introduce one you likely aren't going to find on a DuckDuckGo or Google search. Well, well, you might, but it'll likely point back to StarfleetLeadership.academy. But this concept is the concept of creating a motivated environment and workplace through martial arts. Now I'm not talking about Taekwondo and kicking people in the face, or even Worf's Klingon Tai Chi that we saw in the 52nd episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Nope, I'm talking about the concepts in martial arts like Judo and Aikido. These are unique martial arts that emphasize momentum and efficiency of motion. When many people think of martial arts, they think of what we see in Cobra Kai or Bloodsport. Vic, choose a break. Okay, fine. Uh What about this one? And while they're right, those martial arts are aggressive, focusing on attack and winning. Other martial arts, like Aikido specifically, focus on using another's momentum and not necessarily winning the fight, but trying to avoid it altogether. In the 34th episode of this podcast, we watched Code of Honor. Yeah, that happened. But shockingly, there were a lot of great takeaways in that one. Totally worth listening to the podcast episode. Maybe, maybe avoid the TNG episode, right? But in it, Tasha Yar was demonstrating Aikido, which allowed me to talk about the concept of Ma'ai, which is the concept of creating space. In Aikido, the various kata, or forms, are often known as arts. Many of these arts conclude with the Aikidoka creating ma'ai, or space, between them and the opponent, the intent of which is to either avoid the fight or be able to beat feet if the other person isn't so keen on stepping down. Now, what does any of this have to do with motivation? Well, everything. Think about the conversations you have about motivation. They're about offering something, setting a goal, bringing people together. They are you going into the environment and putting something in it being a, we'll say benevolent aggressor. I mean, you're kind of the Johnny Lawrence of the workplace. You've done your best. You're ready for this tournament. Am I right? Yes. Yes, Wrong. But in a good way, instead follow the Aikido model, or what we're going to call the Janeway model. Observe what the team is doing and then play along, lean into it, use their momentum, and help speed that along. In this episode, the senior officers need to figure out a way to motivate Cole and Arador to leave the planet. Their first attempt, basically kidnapping them, falls apart. They were being the aggressor. They attacked. But when they regrouped, Janeway got wise and understood she needed to use their momentum. This is brilliant. See, it goes. What motivates the Ferengi? Profit. How do we do that? We have to out Ferengi. The Ferengi. This acknowledges who the Ferengi are, what their beliefs and values are, and simply moves with them. To use another analogy. They become leaves on the river instead of the stone. One flows with the water and the other breaks the water apart for you to do this you have to understand and use some of the concepts i talk about frequently gemba walks talking to the people you work with understanding the demands of their work stuff like that when you do these things you'll understand what kind of impact a proxy for the grand negus will have on them but once you know what's important to them what they value You don't interrupt what they're doing. You don't add a whole layer of of tracking or or anything like that. You simply go with the flow. You be a leaf on the river, and you provide the thing they were looking for anyway. This is a little challenging to dive into specific examples here, so I'm going to ask you to do that. Over on my website, starfleetleadership.academy, in the bottom right of the screen is this little button with a microphone on it. That lets you leave me an audio message, like a voicemail. Hello, please leave a message after the tone. I would love for you to leave a message about how you just went with the flow in order to create a motivating environment and workplace. Leave the message, and I'll play it here on a future episode. As as long as it's appropriate and the sound quality is decent, you know, stuff like that. But hey, isn't that kind of a jerk thing to do of me, right? Like I just put out a call to action and then I say that I might play it. If some things happen, like, why don't I just commit to pulling the audio down and drop it in the podcast? Well, there are a few reasons. First, someone may decide to use what Spock called colorful metaphors. The use of language has altered since our arrival It is currently laced with, shall I say more colorful metaphors. And that would be no good for anyone. Or someone may talk into their phone the way my mom used to use a speaker phone with her mouth right up on the mic so it sounds like a garbled garbage disposal. I I don't want you to have to decipher that. I guess I guess what I'm saying is that even in low-stakes situations like this, rules kind of play a role. This episode hinged on Janeway making a decision on what to do about Cole and Eridor. It became immediately apparent that the prime directive said to pretend they never saw anything and keep on moving. But Janeway couldn't let that happen. The Federation exists to bring people together safely and in ways to stop the exploitation of people. So yes, rules are important, they're necessary, but sometimes they get in the way of actually achieving your mission. Or if you're a conscious capitalist, your purpose. Janeway logics her way to get in around the Prime Directive. They talk about the negotiations the Federation hosted on the Enterprise, and the exploration they did to verify the value of the wormhole, which led her to figuring out... So one could say, without being unreasonable I think, that the Federation is partially responsible for what's happened, and therefore duty bound to correct the situation. This is so brilliant. You see, rules are meant to help you achieve your goals and the mission of your organization in a way that ensures ethical behavior and that things are done in a way consistent with your desired culture. Traditional thinking, command and control style management would tell you that management exists to enforce the rules. Well, I say that's ridiculous and insulting to every person you work with. I have never worked Anywhere where within the first few days of working, they didn't either give me a handbook with all the rules or plot me in front of some onboarding video. You're probably wondering what makes shenanigans such a great restaurant and then make me sign off that I knew all this stuff. Now people know the rules and if they don't, they generally know where to find them. I say that management exists for what Janeway does here to help identify those times when a rule is actually getting in the way of ethical behavior or the culture or the mission of the organization. Then they help logic the team's way around the rule to ensure they can do the right thing, the right way that just might not be quite what the rule said. Now, next level management is where you're preparing your teams to do that on their own. They can do this when you are crystal clear about what needs to get done and even more clear on what the culture is you're fostering. When you do that, you'll see your teams coming to you with the ideas like this, right? Or or maybe even just executing them. We see this with the Ferengi here. Way back in the TNG episode, The Price, it's made pretty clear that these are low level guys, but in their situation, they are clear on what needs to get done profit, and they're clear on their culture by any means necessary. So they set to logicking their way to a pretty wide open approach to their problem. There's a rule for every conceivable situation. When no appropriate rule applies, make one up. General Douglas MacArthur famously said, rules are meant to be broken and are too often for the lazy to hide behind. We all know the first part of this one really well, but tend to forget the last part, which is too bad because it's exactly what I'm saying here. Blind adherence to rules is lazy and worse. It's poor management and terrible leadership. The 14th Dalai Lama had a great take on this as well. He said, learn the rules like a pro so you can break them effectively. Ah, oh, This is beautiful a version of this has been attributed to pablo picasso where he said you can break them like an artist a hallmark of a strong leader is one that has the courage and the ability to work around bending and manipulating like an artist the rules but please please do not hear me saying that this means rules are meaningless and should be ignored The vast majority of the time, things should be business as usual, where the rules are followed and leaned upon. But that doesn't mean they're static. When I was growing up, I remember my grandparents had these old-timey etiquette books. You may have seen these before. They were fascinating. They ranged from how to address someone with respect to what a woman should wear at specific times of day, depending on who and how she was entertaining. As kids... We had a good laugh at all this, but, but the thing is, these were real. Like if a woman broke these rules and wore the wrong thing at the wrong time, accusations of being hysterical could lead to public shaming, barbaric medical practices, and even lobotomies. She's hysterical. Hysterical. Like these were serious, serious rules, but rules change. And as a leader, you should always be reviewing your workplace rules to ensure they're still appropriate. I've shared a work experience with you a number of times now where I was brought into an organization to help its culture after its former leadership was removed under accusations of harassment, discrimination, nepotism, and, well, just, just being bully bosses. One of the keys to successfully changing the culture there was reviewing all the rules, both written and unwritten, and changing them as needed. HR for this company encouraged managers to use a welcome letter when onboarding new people to the team. It was a document that laid out all the workplace culture stuff that people should be aware of. Some of the verbiage was pretty boilerplate stuff, like what building security looked like, information security practices, you know, the stuff you'd probably expect. Other language in it was suggestive and how to communicate and interact with the team, like... When we like to use an email versus an IM or stuff like that. And some of it was kind of aspirational, like encouraging people to participate in wellness activities and, and other extracurriculars that were offered. The prior leadership took this a step further. They defined what could and could not be eaten at a desk. I remember I remember they defined eating a meal as any food that required utensils. <laughs> oh wow. Apparently they'd never seen me eat and they had a lot of other really draconian stuff in there. Their welcome letter was 18 pages long, 18 pages. I rewrote it and I think it's like three pages now got rid of all that extra awful stuff. Since I rewrote it initially, I think it's been rewritten like three or four times now based on our evolving culture and learning how to be better. So don't be lazy, like General MacArthur describes. Be an artist, like Picasso describes. Or maybe, even better, be a Janeway. Know your culture. Know your purpose. And artfully, effectively, lead the way through and around the rules to achieve them. I'm serious about wanting to hear your stories about creating a motivational environment, especially if you just went with the flow like in Aikido, as opposed to stepping in and changing things like in Taekwondo. I want to hear about you being a leaf on the river instead of the stone. You do this by visiting starfleetleadership.academy and clicking the microphone-looking button on the bottom right of the page. That lets you leave me an audio message like a voicemail. I cannot wait to include your story in a future episode. And you can also share your story with me on social media. I'm on Twitter at SFLA Podcast, and you can get me on most of the other social media at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T as in tractor beam, A K I N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. This had better not be another fifth episode from the third season. All right, oh, oh, here we go. Nope, nope. We got the 17th episode of the second season of Enterprise, Kanamar. The only thing I remember about this one is the incredible guest star, Mark Rolston. We talked about him in the 40th episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, where he played the villain in TNG's Eye of the Beholder. And you can also hear me talk about him on my Babylon 5 podcast, Babylon 5 for the first time, in the 21st episode, where Brent Allen and I watch The Quality of Mercy. Rolston plays an excellent and super believable villain, and I'm excited to see how he challenges Archer in this one. So until next time, ex astra scientia! (music) Hey Brent, have you ever seen Babylon 5 before? Babylon 5? mean that show from the 90s? Yep. No. You want to watch it for the first time? Let's do it. Babylon 5 for the first time. Not a Star Trek podcast. We are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the first time. We're searching for Star Trek-like messages in the series and deciding if we should have watched it sooner. You can find us on Good Pods, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Babylon 5 for the first time. Not Subscribe to the Nature Back Podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B. and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels my IG which is Ozzy underscore Sarah underscore LA.